Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the BibleQuest.org talk show. Thank you for being here today. Uh, we are going to be doing, again, a Q&A session today. And we want to hear from you in the audience. What's on your mind? Give us your questions. You've already got some questions, but we'd really like to hear uh, from y'all in the audience as we go today. And so please leave your comments uh, uh, and your question in the comments below. Um, there's other ways you can do this as well. There's actually three ways. Uh, if you're watching from the Facebook Live, you can comment. If you're calling in, uh, you can do that from BibleQuest.org. Uh, or you can text us your questions at 530-570-8378. So any way you want, um, those options will be on screen for most of the show today. So whatever works best for you, just get us your questions however you want, and we will try to answer those in the time. We have. Um, so um, with that said, let's say hello to all of the panelists today. Um, Scott from Gettysburg is here. Scott, how are you? I'm doing fine. Hey, Stephen. Uh, Jeff is also here from Exton. Hello, Jeff. Good afternoon. And Drew is from Homesdale, Pennsylvania. Drew, how are you? I'm doing excellent. How are you doing, Stephen? Doing well. I'm your host today, Stephen Rouse from Gettysburg. And Drew, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I just want to mention about the connectivity. Uh, if they're joining us through the uh, BibleQuest.org app, we want to make sure that people are using the Q&A window for their comments and questions. And as you mentioned, we are also live on Facebook. Uh, so be, be aware that on Facebook, there is a 20-second delay, which may have an effect when you're texting us. You may think we're ignoring you, but we're not ignoring you. Um, we plan to get through every question. So go ahead and send them in. Um, all right, so with that said, let's begin a discussion. Like Stephen, you just mentioned, we do have some questions. In fact, there's one, one question I think we've we... already got a question there in the comments. Randy right. Berry asks, where did Jude get his information in verse 9 from? Well, that's an that's interesting question. question. It is a very interesting question. Um, Let me get over to Jude 9 myself. I wasn't there yet. Jude 9 reads... But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. What's the question again? Where did you get this information from? Where did you get I, I got, Can I give the short, easy answer from my Holy Spirit? There's a, there's a little more discussion I expect we can have about that. Scott, I think you've probably done some work on this, haven't you? There's a couple of places here in Jude where he, he quotes from some texts, like later we've got a reference from Enoch. Uh, or we don't have the text that apparently this came from, the one about the body of Moses. But early writers, I think maybe Origen, mm -hmm. uh, maybe it was who it was, said that this was from a book called The Assumption of Moses, if I remember correctly. Uh, I may have the title of it wrong, but whatever the title is, that text is no longer in existence. But we had, there was a time in history when apparently it was, and apparently there's a reference uh, to this in that text. Now I'm saying that from memory. Um, and, um, 
I don't have all the answers for you on that, but that's uh, that's where I recall that early writers familiar with that text said that it came from. And I and I would just add this uh, this comment: the fact that there were other writings that were not part of the Bible and presumably not inspired writings that um, mention some things that are then mentioned by Jude or or somebody else that we don't read in the Old Testament doesn't necessarily mean Jude was just writing something that was in some current writings at his his time in history. What it may well mean is that there was something that happened, in fact, historically, and that that information came down uh, orally, and so that somebody who was writing uh, later on could could write about it, and a, a New Testament writer could also have it confirmed to him by inspiration. This is something to write about. I'll just mention Janus and Jambres, the magicians in Egypt. Um, we don't read their names in the book of Exodus when, uh, when Moses and Aaron go in and confront Pharaoh and Aaron throws down his rod. If I remember right, it was Aaron who threw down his rod and becomes a snake, and the magicians do the same thing. We don't read their names in Exodus, but Paul mentions their names. Um, so and they had been mentioned in other writings previous to Paul. And so, and so this doesn't mean that, then Paul is just relying on uh, traditional things. It may mean that this was something that it was a fact. Because it was a fact, it did survive through oral tradition and then was later written in various writings, uh, including in the New Testament. I just wanted to add, let me just bring it up. Some people were coming in after the question was asked that we were were answering the question on where did... uh, Jude get his information uh, from a statement that he made in Jude 9. Just wanted to repeat the question. Uh, Let's also mention there is just secular historical tradition in in Scripture as well. You know, when Luke will talk about giving the political setting for things, um, you know, that's that's a matter of history. Now, one of the differences with uh, the, the situation in Jude there is it seems to be more of a a description not so much with earthly history as something going on and uh elsewise but just just an example of the use of information from elsewhere luke chapter 3 in the 15th year of the reign of tiberius caesar Pontius Pilate, being governor of judea herod tetrarch of galilee his brother tetrarch in the region of iteria and trachonitis you know this this is history and he's giving the historical setting um if if prophets were here today, we would make reference to things that we all know and are familiar with in settings and stuff. But you're also right to make the point that in Jude, we're talking about something that would not be known other than by revelation if it really happened. If there's a dispute between uh, Michael the archangel and the devil about the body of Moses, uh, the only way anybody's going to know about that is by some kind of revelation at some point. Unless it was really loud. Do we have any live questions right now? Not at the moment. Hey, we appreciate the live questions, and we really want to encourage that. We're going to be uh, we're going to be covering some of the leftover questions from last week. But at any point that we get another live question in, uh, we'll probably pretty quickly go to that and then come back uh, to the uh, bit of a backlog of questions that we got. Uh, let's go ahead and get to that then. Drew, if it's all right, I'm going to switch screens here. 
Go right ahead. And here we go. I don't know how seamless that was. Oh, that's and, good. Uh, running. Can everybody see that? This is one of the questions from last week. How do we understand the first and second chapters of Genesis giving seemingly contradictory accounts of creation? What do you mean? And so just contradictory accounts. Well, if, if you look at Genesis 1, you have this. Day 1, you have light. Day 2, the expanse. Day 3, plants. Day 4, the sun and moon and stars. Day 5, fish and birds. Yeah. And then day six, land animals, man and woman. You get to okay. Genesis two, and it says before there was any plants and before there was any man, it talks about the mist. There wasn't raining. The mist was going up. And it says God created man. And it said he created plants, put them in the garden, uh, put the garden of Eden and had him tend it. And there was not good for man to be alone. And it says God made uh, animals. Uh, beasts and birds, present them to Adam. He names them, but there's nothing fitting for him. And so then from his rib, all these other things made from the earth. And then from his rib comes woman and she is fit for him. And so that's it, in a nutshell. We'll look at the text in a minute. But let's discuss, uh, use an illustration here before we get into it in detail. And as you get into that, I just want to reinforce what the question is asking. Their uh, critics and skeptics have criticized the Bible, saying this is a contradiction. They would say this is two different accounts. That in the first chapter, uh, someone else had written, and you have this order. And then in the second chapter, it would appear that you have man before plants, and at mm -hmm. least man is mentioned before plants are mentioned. And then you have beasts and birds before uh, woman, uh, whereas beasts were on day five in Genesis 1 and beat land animals on day six. And so we'll be talking about the differences in these two texts, but there's, there's a quick overview of what it's about. And so we're going to illustrate, first off, let's consider this. If your viewpoint is that those two chapters are by different people and different sources, what might you be inclined to say about uh, those two chapters? They're contradictory accounts. Yeah, if, if only one of those was in the Bible mm -hmm. and the other one was in, say, the Book of Mormon, I'd be inclined to think, well, that, that's not what the Bible said. You know, and, and I, I, because of my uh, adherence to Scripture, except Scripture would would would... Uh, go with that instead of the Book of Mormon, which there's no evidences for. However, if your viewpoint is that the prophet Moses recorded both chapters 1 and chapter 2, then what are you going to be inclined to look for? Some way of making sense of both of them, reconciling it, figuring that some, somehow they both make sense. And in life, just in everyday life, think how many times this has happened to you. Have you ever, say, been talking to somebody that you trust and they gave you a version of something and then you talked to somebody that you knew was untrustworthy? The accounts were really different. And so what is our natural assumption? Stay with the trustworthy person. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Now, has this ever happened? To you? That, uh, we have a follow-up question from Randy uh, that we'll try to get to here in just a minute. Okay, very good. Your question, Randy. 
Um, has this ever happened to you? You're talking with a, a, a brother, sister in Christ, maybe your wife, brother, son, daughter, mom, dad, whoever, somebody you really trust well, they've described something, you got a picture in your mind of what it was, and then they started saying some more details, and you stopped and went, wait a minute, but I thought you said, have you ever had that happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but when it's a person who knows what they're talking about and they're trustworthy, what happens when we say, wait, but I thought you said this, what often happens then? There's further explanation. There's further explanation and then we realize what? There's some things left out. Yeah, there were some things left out and we made certain connections in our mind that wasn't their intention. Stephen. We also have a question from Joy in the Q&A box. We'll get to you in just a minute, but thank you for your questions. And keep those of you in the audience, please give us your questions. We'll get to them as soon as we can in our discussion. Go ahead. Tell you what, if you want to, we'll, we'll, we can hold this for a bit and go ahead and get to his and come back to this because this would be a good breaking point. We've got several things to say about it, but this would be a good breaking point if you want to go ahead and go to that one. That might sure. be a good suggestion. Uh, why don't you take, uh, Stephen, the one that you got in from uh, your question. All right. So Randy Berry asks as a follow-up question about the book of Jude. He says, so with my question concerning Jude's letter, then my question is, is Jude the brother of Jesus in Matthew 13, 55, or the apostle Judas in Luke 16, 16 and Acts 1, 13? So it's a question of is uh, which Jude wrote the book of Jude? Well, wait a minute. Was one of the questions Judas the traitor? No. no. Okay. I, 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 I misheard that. I misheard that. Sorry. Yeah. There was another apostle referred to in John as Judas. Oh, no. the apostle Judas. Okay. The fact that Jude identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ doesn't necessarily mean he's not the brother. He, he's, he's, not, he's not trying to ride the fame of being the brother of Jesus, but he does say he's the brother of James, which is presumably the well-known James, the James who is prominent in the church in Jerusalem throughout the book of Acts, the James who wrote the book of James. And uh, that James was a, a brother of Jesus, as I understand it. I think it's very likely that Jude was a brother of Jesus. Uh, I don't know that it makes a lot of difference. It's not something that um, you know, I'm, I'm going to spend a lot of time on, but that's my inclination. Yeah, could be. Thank you for that let question. Me, let me get to the uh, Joy's asked a question also on Jude, right? I think this was Jude, wasn't it? Where she says, uh, "Oh no, no, I take that back." In Acts five twelve thirteen, who do you think was the them that no one dared join? Was it the apostles or was it the Christians as a whole? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. The first time you read that verse, it can look like nobody's joining the Christians. But that doesn't fit with the very next verse. Look at it there in Acts 5. This is right in the text. The last thing before this was the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 11, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all that heard these things, as, as you would expect. By hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were wrought among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, but of the rest, there's no man join himself to them. So you, you might think, okay, so nobody's joining them now. But then in verse 14, it said, believers were the more added to the Lord, 
multitudes both of men and women. Uh, so it's, it doesn't mean that unbelievers aren't still joining themselves to disciples. Uh, it may mean that they're not joining themselves to the apostles. The apostles are still the ones up there primarily doing the miracles and having the leadership. And there's a little bit of awe here, especially after the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My, my translation says, uh, didn't, uh, the rest dared, but none of the rest dared to associate with them rather than join them. Does that give a little different flavor? Seems to be about the same. The question is yeah. uh, who the them is. Um, and it seems also that with the people holding them in high esteem, uh, it's the, that idea of the apostles are the ones uh, who are doing these uh, signs and wonders from verse 12. And so uh, unlike Simon the sorcerer in chapter 8, who saw what the apostles were doing and was like, I want to buy that power. You know, I want that. It is you got people here who are marveling at what's happening. No one is seeking to join the apostles themselves, but there are more and more people being added to the Lord. There are people becoming Christians and joining uh, the disciples of Jesus. So Joe, I think the short answer to your question is, is very likely the apostles. Is the day. Uh, All right. Thank yeah. you, Joy, for the question. Yeah. Yes. And thank you, Randy, for the question. We, do we have any other live questions at the moment? Not at the moment. Um, I've got a Q&A thing. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, this, uh, so I'm looking at Joy still. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's get back to the Genesis uh, 1 and 2 question then. All right. So here's an example of two different texts with two different impressions from the same author. Our audience, if you would, open your Bible to Luke chapter 24. I want you to take a look. It's Luke chapter 24. Now, here's the question. You've got the death of Christ in Luke 23, his burial, then you have the resurrection there in Luke 24, and then at the end of the chapter, you have the ascension. Now, just using Luke 24, here is my question. When did Jesus ascend? Or when might you be inclined to assume that Jesus ascended? So let's just scan over it a little bit. All right, guys, at the beginning of the chapter, what's happening in the first several verses? And on what day? It's the first day of the week. And who's doing what? The women are bringing spices to the tomb. Yeah, and they find it empty. Then in verse 13, two guys are going to a village named what? Emmaus, and yeah. it says on that very day. So we know this is still that day, which is the first day of the week. Mm -hmm. And they're talking with someone that they don't realize was Jesus, and they say in verse 21, it's now the third day since, you know, the death uh, of, of he who we thought would redeem I Israel. So we're still on that first day, Sunday. And then when they finally realize it's Jesus, um, it, we have down here, what time of day is it in verse 29? Well, it's getting late. Um, in fact, it's toward evening, it says. And so they're talking about retiring and going into the village and inviting Jesus to stay with them. Only they don't know it's Jesus yet. And then in verse 31, what do they realize? And then their eyes are open. They know who he is. Yeah. 
Now, verse 33, when did they go back and tell the apostles? That very hour. Yeah, that very hour. So we're still on the set. Go ahead, Stephen. Um, somehow we had a little glitch and Dan Crockett asked a question a little bit ago and I didn't see it in my, in my feed. I saw both of Randy's questions and it wasn't there. I just refreshed the page and we have another question from Dan. Oh, good. Okay. Let's, hold, let's hold on to that one and let Scott get through the middle of his point here. All right. So we're still on the same day and now it's toward evening. That same hour, they get to Jerusalem and they find the 11 there and they come in with what message? In 34. The Lord is risen. Yeah. And then in verse 36, while they were talking about these things, who shows up in the room? What Jesus himself does. So we're still on the evening of the day he was raised from the dead. And he says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your heart? Because they think he's a ghost. He says, look at my hands and look at my feet. And they're disbelieving for joy. And then he asks them for something. What is he asking for? Something. Yeah, yeah. They, they give him a piece of fish. And in verse, uh, he took it and ate it. Then he said to them, these are the words I spoke with you while I was still with you, that everything written in the law and Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures and said, thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the, uh, and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Your witnesses of these things, behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands. He blessed him. While he blessed him, what did he do? Well, it says um, that he, he ascended. Yeah. Uh, and passed while he blessed them. He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Yeah. So if only if this was the only chapter on the ascension, it would be easy for us to make what rather natural assumption. If I said, when did Jesus ascend? If all you had was this passage, you might think he ascended the same day that he was raised from the dead. Right. Especially, especially in verse 45, it says, then he opened their minds. And we make the assumption, well, that's the then means it's in the same time frame. Now, and it's, it's natural for us to make assumptions like that, but we need to realize sometimes that those are assumptions. Now, back in verse uh, earlier in the chapter, he said specifically, on that very day. So when he says, on that very day, we know that happened on that very day. At the end of the text, does it say that all these, the different points of discussing the prophecy and such, does he repeat there on that very day? No. No, he doesn't, but it would be easy to assume. However, same author, we come to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1, and what does he make very clear in Acts chapter 1? Let me interrupt you. (laughs) We are still, this is an illustration because we are still talking about Genesis 1 and 2, and I just want to remind the audience of that. Oh, yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. (laughs) We're giving an illustration to give a way to look at Genesis 1 and 2. Thank you, Drew, that's helpful. Okay, in Acts chapter 1, there's clearly 40 days between the time that he is raised from the dead and he ascends. Yeah, so even with the same author, you can have a description and you get one impression chronologically in one spot and you get something else in another. Yeah. So, um, let's take a quick look now at Genesis 1. While we're turning over to that, isn't it safe to say... 
uh, uh, Scott, isn't it safe to say when you turned over to Acts, we're seeing more detail in Acts about some of those events that he just briefly litigated uh, or you know, wrote down and talked about in Luke 24. Acts is giving us more detail. More detail on some subjects, less detail on others. And depending on... Different, yeah. In, in which of the two texts, which text talked, gave more detail about his explaining Old Testament scripture and prophecy? Luke 24. Yeah. Which one gave more detail about the time span? Acts what it looked like and what the angels said when he ascended. Acts chapter, chapter 1. Yeah, yeah. So you have certain things focused on in one text, certain things focused on in the other text. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there's not a contradiction between, and everyone knows that. Everyone knows there's no contradiction between Luke 24 and Acts 1. And you really only get the full picture with both accounts put together. That's important. Very good. But, but neither account says anything wrong. No. There you go. All right, so let's look at Genesis. And we have what? Light on the first day, the expanse on the second day, plants on the third day, uh, the light, sun, moon, stars on the fourth day, the fish and the birds on the fifth day. And on the sixth day, he makes the land animals. And then he said, let us make man in our image. And he created them male and female. And that's on the sixth day. Amen. 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 Genesis 2. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. This is ESV, by the way. Then, and by the way, in the Hebrew, the word then is not in there. Uh, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, and out of the ground the Lord God made it spring up every tree. And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and told him to keep it. And then the Lord God said, and I think again the word then is not there in the Hebrew, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed, some translations say God formed every beast, some say had formed every beast. I understand you can translate it either way with Hebrew. Uh, ESV, I think, considering Genesis 1 is translated this way. Had formed every beast of the field and every bird of heaven, brought them to the man. The man gave them names, but for Adam, there was not found what? A helper. So he caused a deep sleep to fall on him. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs. And from the rib, he made a what? The woman. Made, made the woman. Yeah. And if you look up there, man was made from what? From the, from the dust of the earth, from the ground. Yeah. And, of course, the plants came up out of the ground. Yep. And the beasts and the animal yep. out of the ground. Mm -hmm. But the woman is made out of the rib, man's yeah. rib. Yeah. Now, so here we have there's no plants and no man. And the first created organism we see here is man. And then, it, and then there's a reference to he had made plants. And, and just to interject right there, there's one of the places where somebody would think, well, that seems to be a contradiction because in Genesis 1, the plants were on the third day and man isn't until the sixth day. Right. So man is mentioned here before plants and 
birds, which are on the fifth day, are mentioned before women. Yeah. Woman. All right. So, um, one, one of the things here, somebody comment on these express because this comes right between Genesis 1 and 2. What we say Genesis 1 and 2, but really the first part of Genesis 2 is wrapping up Genesis 1. Yeah. So, yeah. like, it, you have the sixth day, God looked everything and it was good. And then you're into chapter 2 on the seventh day, he rested. And then we get this verse, these are the generations of heaven and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and heavens. And then we get this other view of uh, angle of creation in chapter two. Somebody comment on this setting, this phraseology, because we see it over and over in Genesis. I like to refer to it as a, 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 like a headline. A newspaper headline gives you the general statement, and then it goes into more detail about what the information is going to be given. Okay. Stephen, I think you can actually pronounce the word, can't you? <laughs> well, the, the term I've heard used, I am no expert, is colophon, uh, referring to these section headings, and they have to do with introducing new sections of the text. Uh, they refer both back to the text before them and also introduce yes. the text that comes after them. Yes, yes. So let's stick at the bottom here. These are the generations of Jacob. Now, is this the first time Jacob is mentioned? No. No, it's been talking about Jacob, but now it's going to give you further information about Jacob. So it ties to what's already been said and gives more. The generations of Esau. This is not the first reference to Esau. He's been mentioned before. Now here's more. Uh, same here, same with Isaac, same with uh, Ishmael. He's already been discussed, and now here's more information. Same with Terah. He's mentioned, sometimes not much mentioned, but you've got him mentioned. Then you have this, and with Shem, Noah, right before that it said God, Noah found favor with God, and then you have the, the colophon or the heading, or the, and then you have this, and, uh, and with Noah, and... Um, and then with this one, so we've got a previous description in Genesis 1, and now here's more detail. These are kind of natural chapter headings, you could almost say, in the yeah. Genesis. And what's interesting to me is that there is not this expression at, at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. In this, instead, we have that in the beginning, God created the heavens and, and the earth and, and so on, and then the six days of creation. So it seems to me it's almost like Genesis 1 is a prologue, and then Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, you have the beginning of the chapter where we're going to have the story of the creation. In the prologue in Genesis 1, you get a chronological account, what happened on each of the six days, and then God ceased and rested on the seventh day. Now we get to chapter 2, verse 4, new chapter, God's going to tell the story, and it's a, I like to say it's a man-centric story, because not so much is the story now concerned with the order of the events, right. but how everything relates to the centerpiece of God's creation, man. Which is man. Really, the whole book of Genesis does this. It's, it's, after introducing Abraham and the promises to Abraham, the book of Genesis doesn't record every story of every person. It has a specific purpose in tracing the lineage of the Jewish people and of the promise of God. And so the purpose of each account of Genesis is not to be exhaustive or always completely chronological, but to follow the purpose of the author as he traces 
uh, this promise of God and him fulfilling his work in his people uh, through the book. Yeah. And now let's look at Genesis 2. And I acknowledge the difficulty, but if we take the inform, like in Luke 24 and Acts 1, if you look at both pieces of information, put it together, if you look at Genesis 2 and remember and bring in the information from Genesis 1, watch this. This is text from Genesis 2, and I've added some italicized words from content from chapter 1. So what if Genesis 2 had said this? When no bushes field was yet in the land, no small plant, uh, it hadn't rained yet, there was no man worked around, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground on the sixth day. Keep in mind, that's not, let's make it clear, that's not there in the text. We're right, right. using this, is, this as an example. Yeah, yeah the, 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 you're on your screen, the text that is not in italics is from Genesis 2. The, the words in italics are information borrowed from Genesis 1. And that's but, all you're doing is taking the information all. and bringing it to our yeah, attention. Yeah. In other words, if, if, if this was written this way, we would say, oh, I see what he's saying. All right, so the Lord, uh, the man was formed on the sixth day. The Lord planted a garden of Eden. And out of the ground, God made up to spring every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food on the third day. So in other words, then we would see he's not trying to tell us the events in the order that they happened. He's telling us stuff that happened. And if it were, if you had the combined information, then there would be the time stamps, not necessarily giving those timestamps in the order that they happened, but letting us know, okay, now I'm telling you something that happened on the sixth day. And now I'm telling you something that happened back on the third day and so on. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens on the fifth and sixth days. And he brought them to man. Man gave them names, but for Adam, there was not a helper found fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he slept, he took one of his ribs and the rib that he'd taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man on the sixth day. Now, if that's what the text said, who would say it was contradictory? Oh, Nobody. No. And yet what we did was simply inserted information from chapter one. So, so just to, just to kind of put a fine point on it here, uh, I think the, the the problem a lot of people have, of course, there's two issues here, the order of the creation of animals and the woman, and then the order of the creation of the plants and man. Right. But right. if we understand that in Genesis 2, he's really not trying to say which happened first, but if you, if you step back to kind of a global view, there's no point in creating plants until we're going to create man. Um, and, and so the fact that, plants are created three days before the man is created does not negate the fact that God didn't intend to create any plants until he's going to create man. So there was no bush to the field until God creates man. Now, exactly when those two things happen, there's three days difference, but nonetheless, God's going to create man and that's when he creates everything else, the, the, the plants. And, and that's, all, that's, all, that's all on the foundation of what you said, Jeff, earlier on, that it's centric around man. Yeah. He's giving us the how and the why he did these things, not the timing of them, because we already got the timing in chapter one. Yeah. So you're suggesting, well, this is all based on the how and why man is at the center of this. 
So chapter one gives us the chronology of when. Chapter two gives us some information about especially how and why and how it relates to man's duties and needs. Mm-hmm. Anything else on there, guys? Well, this question. The, you have another question? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, Dan's question from earlier. Um, he says, I was speaking with someone last week and they asked me a question uh, I didn't have an on-the-spot answer for. Judas betrayed Jesus and that was foretold in prophecy. Does that mean Judas was fated to be lost even before he became one of the 12? I believe that a Calvin, that's a Calvinist belief, but what does that mean for Judas who is so close to Jesus compared to say us today? Good question. <laughs> so the, the, there's a distinction here. There's, there's a lot to say about this, but there's a distinction between foreknowledge and foreordination. Yes. In other words, God can know something in advance without causing it. And, and I can illustrate this. I've just got a little bag of, I've got a little bag of plastic rivets for a car. Doesn't matter what they are, but I can illustrate this nonetheless. And I'm going to step back here or slide back here. And I'm going to hold this hand here and I'm going to hold this hand up here. Now watch. Okay. Now what happened is when I let this go, it hit my hand. And if you were able to see that, you could see as soon as I let go, you could know it was going to hit my hand before it hit my hand. So I caused it to hit your hand. No, you had foreknowledge, not foreordination. You didn't Uh. cause it, you foreknew it. However, I both foreknew it and (laughs) I caused it and hence I foreknew it. Now, if, if we, in our feeble little human brains, can know some things in advance, I know something's going to happen. I can see it all coming together. Uh, sometimes it's pretty funny when you see somebody start to fall. Well, if they don't get hurt. But anyway, you can, you can, if we can understand that we can foreknow some things, God in his infinite knowledge, he can foreknow some things. And apparently he can foreknow. This character, Judas, he is not going to be submissive to my will. You know what? I am going to put him in a position where I can make use of his rebellion. I can make use of his greed. But that doesn't mean God caused Judas to be that way. In fact, a couple of references from John, John 17, that I guarded them, not one of them perished, except the son of perdition, that the son, that the uh, scripture might be fulfilled. But there was a character issue with Judas, and we also knew that Jesus knew about Judas from the beginning. John 6, uh, it says, um, verse 64, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who it was that should betray him. So from the beginning, he knew Judas. And what, what character problem do we see in Judas that long predates the that last night where he goes off and betrays him. his greed he was yeah, with the money and he what well, he used to take what was in it yeah yeah and even we sometimes just talk about character traits we if you know somebody well enough you know how to push their buttons i know that if i say this i'm gonna you're gonna get mad and you're gonna react this way because you and i know each other that well and we have a history here that doesn't mean that I'm responsible. Well, it does in that case, I am kind of responsible, but it doesn't mean you lose your free will. 
It doesn't mean you have free choice if I push your buttons. It doesn't mean you don't have free choice if I push your buttons. It, it means you're not causing it, Jeff. Yeah. You maybe have some responsibility in that scenario that you gave, but you're not causing it because he could choose not to do what he's going to do or not do. And just to get our reference out there, because we want to get answers come from Scripture, John 11 is where we find about, about Judas's greed and dishonesty. Judas, this is John, excuse me, John 12, verse 4. John 12, 4. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples that should betray him, said when the, his feet were being washed with the expensive ointment, oh, why wasn't that sold for the 300 shillings? Verse 6. He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and having the bag took away what was put therein. In, in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter makes reference to God's use of both foreknowledge and foreordination. Oh, that's right. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, he speaks of Jesus being delivered up by the determinate counsel, God's right. plan, yep. and foreknowledge. You said that too fast, Jeff. What was the verse? Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Right. And so in Judas, you really see both illustrated. God knew the character. Jesus knew the character. John 6 tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning who it was that would betray him. So they, there was the foreknowledge of Judas's character, but then there is also the foreordination of putting Judas in a position where he could betray Jesus and lead the, the people who wanted to arrest Jesus and have him put to death, lead them to Jesus. Jesus didn't have to choose Judas to be one of the 12, but he chose Judas to be one of the 12 in spite of the fact that he knew from the beginning who it was that would betray him. So it's both, both things. Similar case. For this very purpose did I raise you up, that I might show in you my power. Yeah. That's that about. Pharaoh. Yeah. Yeah. Pharaoh was not a nice guy that God caused to become, you know, wicked. He, he's got an arrogant, rebellious guy there that he's going to use. If I could take a minute, just real quick, that, um, you know, people always ask this question. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden his heart? Of course, the text says both. But it's interesting that as we go from Exodus chapter 9 to Exodus chapter 10, listen to this. Verse 34, Exodus chapter 9. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned and again hardened his heart. Who did? Pharaoh did. Pharaoh. His servants. Verse 35. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, just the passive voice, not saying who did it. And he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 1 of the next chapter, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. You have all three expressions. Pharaoh hardened his heart. His heart was hardened. God hardened his heart referring to exactly the same incident, the hail and the thunder. So when it says God hardened his heart, it doesn't mean Pharaoh didn't harden his heart. It means God pushed his buttons. God knew Pharaoh's character. You know what? If I relieve him of, of the plague, I know what his character is, but he, he knew it because that was Pharaoh's character. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, we're good. getting close to the end. I'm sorry to interrupt you so uh, bluntly. But there was a question that someone had sent to Stephen a few days ago, apparently. Right, Stephen? Yes. And I mentioned that uh, we, we, before the show today. I yeah. forgot to get to the guys earlier. And with us being pretty much out of time, uh, we won't be able to have, get to that question. Joy's question is uh, regarding Matthew 24. 
when you go through that text, when the disciples ask Jesus, uh, when will these things be? Jesus just said, there's not going to be one stone left on another at the temple. Uh, which, where is it referring to the destruction of Jerusalem? And where is it referring to perhaps a final judgment? Um, Matthew 24, uh, and we see those parallel accounts in Luke and, and Mark as well. Um, so we won't have time, unfortunately, Joy, to get to that one today. It's a very good question and, and one that we want to take time we, to answer. We've also got a couple that, that won't have this question we can get to also next week. Question about uh, churches that tend to segregate themselves. Is Jesus man in Daniel 3 and 10? These are leftover questions from last week. I told you I thought we might get to your question today. Sorry we didn't, but I want to get to it next time. How do we reconcile Bible's Old Testament with peace found in the New Courts? There's also peace in the Old Testament, and there's some harsh judgment in the New. We'll talk about those things another time. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of good questions, and we still want people to continue to bring them in because this is what this format is all about, to try to answer questions that maybe sometimes aren't so apparent. Um, so we look forward to everybody next week. To yeah, get some you. of these other questions, we'll get. To, are we going to get the Joyce question next week? I think we will. I will. We will do our I think best. We try to do that. Sure, absolutely. So. All right. Thank you to everybody for tuning in today. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be doing this again next Tuesday at two. So uh, give us your questions, and we'll do our best to get to as many as we can. We didn't get as far as we planned to today, but we'll try to answer as as best we can in the time that we have. So thanks, everybody.